Our scripture tonight comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. If you'd like to follow along in reading the passage, you can look at Luke, chapter 1, 46 through 55. Luke 1, 46 through 55, on page 856 of the ESV Pew Bibles. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word tonight, we give you thanks for the scripture that you breathed out and that you have given to us. It points us to your Son. It points us to salvation. We ask that you would give us the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit so that we can see your truth for what it is, that we can understand it and and apply it to our lives. So Father, we ask to teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. At this point, everyone should be ready for Christmas tomorrow. Uh, Some people have called it the Christmas crunch. Other people just call it being busy during December, but there are a lot of things to do. There's usually some gift purchasing and gift wrapping. There's a lot of extra plans that are being made. There's lots of extra food that's being made. There are, if you have children, lots of extra activities and events to attend and get ready for and rehearse for. And it's just kind of a busy time. And we all understand this is on top of the day-to-day. All of us are still going to our jobs and and doing the normal things that we do during the week. We just have the Christmas crunch on top of that. So when we get to mid-December, when we get to about December 15, December 18, and you ask someone how they're doing, it's not uncommon to hear something like, busy. Or as one person commented, hanging in there. I'm just hanging in there, trying to make it until Christmas. Well, Mary too, as the birth of Jesus approached, may have been hanging in there. This was her first pregnancy, and there's no reason to think that she was exempted from the normal discomfort and pains that come from carrying a child. She may have been hanging in there. This was on top of her day-to-day, and in the first century, of course, uh, unless you're extremely wealthy, most day-to-day was labor-intensive. You did everything yourself. So she might have been hanging in there, or maybe not. Who knows? Maybe she received some sort of special grace that enabled her to um, endure and, and get through with a little less discomfort. We're not sure. But what we are sure of is that she was holding on. She may not have been hanging in there, but she was holding on. Holding on to what God had done for her and holding on to God's covenantal promises and his covenantal character. So let's read from Luke 1, 46 through 55. This is Mary expressing praise and talking to God in in a, in a prayer, and it's called the Magnificat. Read with me now. This is Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. If you're reading out of the ESV and most other translations, they'll have a section heading called the Magnificat that is Latin for magnifies or my soul magnifies. And we see this this magnifying language, phrases like my soul magnifies, my spirit rejoices. They reflect a a praise and a, a, a gratitude to God from her innermost being, a deep personal expression. In verse 47, she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, when we read Savior there, let's not read into what we think when we, we hear the word Savior. We understand what the cross was all about. We, we have been taught what substitutionary atonement means. We know what Jesus did on our behalf. She does not understand that yet. The cross was, Scripture says, a mystery that had not yet been revealed. Not even the disciples, after three years, understood exactly what was going on at the cross and what what was transpiring with Jesus. But Savior in the sense of deliverer, this is what Mary was looking for, and this is what all the people of God in the first century were looking for before the birth of Christ. They were looking for God to send the deliverer, the one that had been promised. They were looking for God to fulfill the covenantal promises to Abraham and to Israel. So we'll, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But that's what she was Uh, we can assume thinking of when she said, my Savior. Verse 48, humble estate. She's talking about herself. And we understand God selected a relatively poor, a humble, uh, lowly person to give birth to the Messiah. She recognized the honor that she had been given, and she knew that others would also, in future generations, recognize the honor that she had been given to, to give birth to Jesus. For he has done great things, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, meaning choosing her to give birth to Jesus. Holy is his name. God is set apart. He's holy. He is perfectly pure and righteous. There is no other like God. And then verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She's an excellent example of someone who approaches God with the right heart posture. She has a holy, reverent fear of God, and that's what God is looking for from his people. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's square one. Start here. Fear the Lord. A healthy, reverent fear that acknowledges his supremacy. And then we see a shift, and you probably picked this up on it when we read through. So the first section, those first verses, uh, 46 through 50, those, those are verses that describe Mary's praise for what God is doing for her personally. This was kind of uh, self-directed thanks and, and prayer of thanks for, for what he had done for her. And then in 51 through 55, there's, that's where we see the, her praise for what God has, um, is, and would do among his people. So more of a corporate uh, review of what God has done and, and will do for his people. So that's the second half. 
So we're going to call that holding on to God's covenantal promises. In 51, she says, he has shown strength with his arm. Now, God had shown his strong arm in a salvific event that the people of God continually looked back upon for generations after it happened. And that was the Exodus. That was the salvific event of the Old Testament. Exodus 6.6 6 says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So Mary's looking back to that salvific event. She recognizes that God is the one who delivers his people, and he's now going to do it again. He's done it before. Here it comes again. She's praising him for past actions, and now she's getting ready for the the future actions. She's ready for him to step in and use his strong arm. Exodus 15.6, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. So God consistently reveals in his word that he will shatter the enemy. He will bring down lowly uh, any enemies of, of his or his people. And so they were ready. The people of God were ready for, for God to demonstrate his strong arm again. They wanted him to, to act. And then in verse 53, there's, there's two phrases. Each uh, describe a reversal of circumstances, filled the hungry, sent the rich away empty. Once again, the Exodus was a picture of that reversal of circumstances. Here was this ragtag group of slaves that were uh, under the, the rule of the mightiest empire at the time, Egypt, and they trotted on out of Egypt, plundering the Egyptians. They carried their gold and valuables with them, and they just got to walk free. And then, of course, we know the end of the story, the Egyptians were wiped out. A reversal of circumstances. And once again, she wants to see God do that. In verse 54 and 55, 55, um, God was going to do something for sure on behalf of his people, but it was not some isolated event. She was looking forward to the deliverer. This was not something new. When they were looking for God to to deliver them and and to act, this was something that was going to be done in accordance with the covenantal promises that he had made to previous generations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And God does not forget the promises he makes to his people. So she rightly saw that God was doing something uh, larger than just for her. It was for God's people. It was something linked to the old covenant promises. Remember earlier I said she, she viewed Jesus as a savior, as a deliverer, but not like the way we think of Jesus as, as our savior. So look how she's referring to Abraham here in these final verses. She sees that link. She understands that this is connected to something in the past. This is not just some new thing. And then look how Jesus is presented to her by the angel in Luke 1, 32 and 33. He says, um, he will be great and will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That's just saturated with covenantal language. It's all over the place. This is how Jesus is presented. This is how Mary understands him. And this is how we need 
to view the birth of our Savior today. So holding on. Mary was praising God for what he had done for her personally, but she was also praising him for his covenantal promises. She rightly saw the birth of Jesus in light of the fulfillment of those promises. So she understood that she didn't stand alone. She's connected to to Abraham, to Isaac, Jacob. She stands in that line of the people of God. She's just a little further on down that line. But she's in that same line. For us tonight, maybe we've been hanging in there as we work through the busyness of December. Maybe we've experienced the Christmas crunch. Or maybe not. Maybe God's given you a special amount of grace to get you through December with no problem whatsoever. But either way, as followers of Christ, whether you're experiencing the Christmas crunch or not, we should all be holding on. Christmas is the perfect time for us to hold on to what God has done for us and to God's covenantal promises. We can rejoice from our innermost being that Jesus is our Savior. And we can do that with the full knowledge of what Savior means. That we were chosen in our sinful, humble estate. That our mighty God has done great things for us, calling us to himself and forgiving our sin. It's hard to believe, but it's true. As sinful as we are, as messed up as we are, he has extended his grace to us. He has forgiven everything. And we are in Christ for eternity. We can also rejoice in God's covenantal character that the promises that he made thousands of years ago apply to us. The promises he made are extended to us. Mary rightly saw her standing in line with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're in that line too. You're in that line. Just a little bit further on down the line. We don't stand in isolation to the Old Testament saints. We stand with them. We want to avoid putting up a dividing wall between Malachi and Matthew and cutting ourselves off from the Old Covenant. We want to avoid anything that that try to seize us, see ourselves in the, in the here and now and not connected with this long line, this covenant of grace that God has been working out since the garden. We do stand in line with that. We are connected to that. And we're not going to see the true picture of what God has done for us unless we see it within that full-orbed context of the entire amount of, of Scripture. We are God's chosen people, just as Joseph and Mary are. Galatians 3.29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. There it is again, covenantal promises. They're for us in Christ. So you too can hold on to his grace and mercy, to his covenantal love towards you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. That's a promise from God. So I think it's fitting tonight. We're going to be doing the candlelight service. We're going to be holding on to these candles. So let that be a symbolic reminder. As we're holding on to that candle, remember, you're also holding on to the promises of God. Those promises will not fail. You are in Christ. You have the favor of God upon you if you're in Christ by faith. If you're holding on to that candle, let that be a reminder that he's holding on to you. However, if you're here tonight and you're not following Jesus, if for, for whatever reason you, you find yourself in the pew tonight and uh, maybe you're out of town or maybe you're here with family and, and you're not a believer by your own admission, um, 
then you have nothing spiritually to hold on to. You need to understand that. If you don't have faith in Christ, then you don't have those covenantal promises. You don't have the favor of God. You don't have the forgiveness of sins. You have nothing to hold on to. And that candle is also a symbol. You may be holding on to a candle, but that's all you're holding on to. However, if you turn to Jesus Christ in faith, or lay hold of him in faith, those promises will be applied to you. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you repent of your sin and turn to him in faith, he promises to forgive you, and you become one of his. He promises to legally declare you righteous, and that is a big deal spiritually. I don't want anyone to leave here tonight with the self-deception of thinking that your good works will be enough. Or that things will turn out fine in the end because you're a good person. When you stand before God, he will demand moral perfection. You don't have that. I don't have that. Nobody has that. Christ has that. That's why you need Jesus Christ. That's why you need a Savior. Lay hold of Jesus Christ tonight. No matter how busy December has been or or still is, all of us can either hold on to what God has done for us and, and his covenantal promises, or we can lay hold of Jesus in faith tonight and celebrate the birth of our Savior for the first time as one of his own. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promises that we've been given in Scripture. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have through faith in Christ. Lord, we give you praise for our Savior, for our King. We ask that you would help us to hold on to all the promises that we have in Christ today, tomorrow, and every day. Amen.